Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. A psychic, a therapist, and a coach walk into a pub. I don't think I can quite get there. We'll see by the end. I want to share, first of all, a trigger warning and a spoiler alert. In this talk, I will share talk of mental illness, and there's a mention of suicide, and there are spoilers of the show ahead. So please take care of yourselves in whatever ways you need to. And that includes after the fact. If you need to speak to me after the talk today or at any point to speak about mental illness, to speak about issues in your own life that are going on, please know that I am available. When David get, gets back from sabbatical, he is available. We are here for you. Since the pandemic and before, really, really since 2016, you've been coming to us and saying things about how dark and difficult and heavy the world feels. The news is too much to bear. It's too much to bear. The division in our country, the devolution of our civic life, um, the ramping up of climate, the climate collapse, all of it is too much. And then came the pandemic, and it, it added on, and every day, every day, the world and the news felt like too much. And all of a sudden, we were unable to be together. The thing that helped us in some ways as social creatures was taken from us. And even after we're back together, this thing that happened to us, the pandemic, is still lingering. It's still with us. We're not fully recovered. We're back in some ways. We feel mostly back, but not really. Something is irre irrevocably changed. And people still come and say, it feels too much, too heavy. I can't get out of it. There's... Uh, a newspaper article after magazine article about the loneliness that uh, Americans in particular feel, I think, come to a congregation. We're not as lonely, perhaps, but we still experience this. That first slide, please. There are lots of memes that Ted Lasso has generated. And this one, this meme shows the world burning, the world right now, and I'm saying, have you watched Ted Lasso yet? <laughs> you can take that down. <laughs> so it is, for, for many of us who are Ted Lasso fans, it's a curative. It's kind. It's lovely. The people in it are kind, surprisingly so. It makes us feel good. It's got a vein of hope that keeps us nourished, and so we who love it, love it a lot. 
May I see by a show of hands who loves it? Excellent. Boy, those hands went up fast. Excellent. Uh, and who is unaware of it? I'm getting both polls here. Who's unaware of it? All right, all right. We may take a poll in a few weeks and see if you love it yet. That's okay. That's all right. We decide not to be polarized here, right? There's something that, that is about not being polarizing. So let me tell you the, the plot, the story of Ted Lasso, because that's what, what I'm talking about here today. So Rebecca Welton, beautiful Rebecca Welton, played by the inimitable uh, Hannah Waddingham, uh, through a divorce from the rotten uh, Rupert, why can't I, Mannion, Rupert Mannion. Thank you. I'll need your help periodically. Uh, Rupert, she, she gets in the d outcome of this bad divorce the only thing that Rupert has ever truly loved, ownership of AFC Richmond, the Greyhounds, a Premier League football club in North London. And she doesn't want them to win. She wants to destroy the only thing that, Richard, uh, that, that uh, Rupert has ever loved. Um, and so she hires Ted Lasso. Uh, an American football coach from a level two uh, college. He's never won much of anything, but he's beloved by the people who beloved him. And uh, he, he comes over not knowing a thing about soccer. First of all, he calls it soccer. And so through the course of the show, I didn't know a thing about soccer either, and through the course of the show, we learn, along with Ted, in this workplace comedy, but it's much more than that. You need not know a thing about the sport to enjoy the show. We learn uh, about how this, uh, the match is played on a pitch, not a field, in boots, not cleats, in uh, two halves, not a quarter, um, that may end in a tie, not a win or a loss. And Ted thinks a tie may be uh, the beginning signs of the apocalypse. So part of the joy is learning along with him, and it's this fish out of water. But we learn that Ted has taken the job because his marriage is in trouble. And so he wants to give his wife space, so he's gone across the ocean to do so, to try to save his marriage and give his wife space. But he also leaves his young son at home. So hilarity and heartache ensue. We meet all of the other characters and their wonderful arcs, their character arcs. Please let us see the next slide. There's Ted in the center. We see Rebecca in the upper right. We see Keely Jones next to her, <clears throat> Coach Beard, um, uh, Ted's wonderful right-hand man, wonderful, weird, intelligent. Um, we see the team uh, psychologist who comes to, uh, to try to work, the sports psychologist who comes in. Below that, we see Danny Rojas. Oh, Danny Rojas, Danny Rojas, Danny, Danny Rojas, Rojas, whose great catchphrase is, Football is life. Football is life. 
Below him, we see Nathan Shelley. Oh, Nate has such a great arc. And Nate is the epitome of hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Below, we see the wonderful Trent Krim from The Independent, the journalist who observes. And next to him, oh, Roy Kent. We love Roy Kent. Unfortunately, I can't quote much of Roy Kent today. <laughs> Roy Kent has uh, many significant lines with, that begin with F and end with K, and they're not Fink or Flick. He's wonderful. Roy Kent is wonderful. He uh, is played by Brett Goldstein, and he was a writer on the show who was writing this and said, I think I am this character. And he uh, began, became, uh, auditioned for the part and became, became Roy Kent. Next to him, we see Jamie Tart, the arrogant and extremely talented footballer who comes to his own arc of uh, humility and um, grace and understanding of his own relationship with his father. There's a lot of father and son relationship in this show in such a gentle and loving and, and sometimes difficult way. And next to him there is Leslie Higgins, who's the director of football operations, who has a beautiful, beautiful relationship. We'll hear the song Rainbow, and that's his theme song with his wife. They've been married a long time. They have five boys. And, um, and that song plays an important role in the arc of the show. And just up above him, we see Sam Obisanya, um, the Nigerian footballer who gives up a lucrative career to stay where he is because it brings more meaning to his life. There's a wrestling with meaning versus money. And just above him, we see Colin can't pull Colin's last name. Colin Hughes, thank you. Colin Hughes, um, who is uh, gay. And there is a lovely episode or two about Colin coming out as a gay sports star. And he has this lovely bit when he's talking privately with Trent Krim, and he says, I don't want to be a poster boy. I don't want to be an activist or a leader. But at the end of the game, when we've won, I just want to be able to hug my fella the way the other players hug and give a kiss to their girl. It's so lovely. There are just lovely, quiet moments in the show, which makes it not all a workplace comedy like we might expect. It has, as Brett Goldstein says, <clears throat> it has some dark, some, some uh, heavy moments. Ted Lasso is a show about people trying to be better. They don't get very far, perhaps, but at least they're trying. I titled this talk The Humanism of Ted Lasso because I think the values that are put forward in this show about putting a cap on cynicism that we see all around us, about building community, about building something larger than ourselves, 
about believing in each other, believing that we can be better than we are, is something that we practice here. Believing that we can make the world a better place. Perhaps we don't get very far, but we try. And that's our enterprise, that's our work, is to try. Ted is not very interested in winning games, matches. He's not very interested in that. What kind of coach would be not very interested in winning? This drives many of the folks to distraction. He says, for me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best version of themselves on and off the field. What would that be like to live in a world like that? What would that be like if that was our orientation to winning? Not about wins and losses, but that success is about being the best versions of ourselves in and outside of these walls. It's not about having the most members. That's lovely if we do. It's not about being the beacon of humanism. That's lovely if we are. It's not about having the biggest program or the biggest budget. It's lovely if we do. We want to be able to, we want to, be able to keep up our, our programs and our building and our staff and, and have the, the things that we have here. But what if our success is measured in depth, in depth of being the best versions that we, of ourselves that we can be and helping each other to be the best versions of ourselves we can be and, and taking that out into the world? I think that's where our humanism lies and the power of it, the super power of it. There is quite a lot about mental health in the show. Ted suffers from panic attacks. They bring in, uh, the reason they begin to bring in a, a sports psychiatrist is that um, Danny Rojas kicks a goal in one of the episodes of season two, and at the very moment he kicks that goal, Earl the Greyhound of the Richmond Greyhounds breaks loose from his leash to go after a bird and is killed by the soccer ball. It's tragic. It's a tragic moment. It is. Danny Rojas can't get out of this. The one who said football is life now says football is death. And he has uh, what they call the yips. The yips are a thing in sports. I didn't know this, but it's a psychological uh, condition. Did, did you all know this about the yips? This is familiar? It comes yeah. from baseball. comes from baseball. Okay. Golfers. All right. Others, maybe. When... When uh, an athlete 
has the technical acumen, but gets in their way in their own head and cannot follow through. Sport is about so much more than what your body can do. Many things are about more than what your body can do. Mike, I imagine it might be possible for you to get, God forbid, the yips in your fingers, right? Right, you've got the technical acumen, but there might be something you just can't bring the life to it, right? It won't, it won't happen to you. Yeah, yeah, knock the wood of the organ, right? It could happen to many of us, we get in our own way. Something happens to us and we can't, we can't get past it. And so they bring in, they wisely bring in a professional who can help talk through these things that happen. And the, and the therapist is great. She, she talks with Danny. Uh, she's wonderful. She uh, speaks with him in Spanish. And then she speaks with a, a player who's from uh, Quebec uh, in French. She speaks a lot of languages. She's, um, she's marvelous. And, and she helps many of the players on the team to find, also find them best, their best selves. She is a coach in a different way helping them find their best selves. She has two of the greatest lines, I think, in the show. Ted ultimately goes to see her. He doesn't really trust this uh, kind of work. And he has this this, um, speech that he says to her. She says, I take it you're not a fan of this kind of work, therapy, she means. He says, you don't know me. Ted is a really nice guy. But, but he kind of lets loose and lets some of his anger out at her. You don't know me. We don't have a history. And you just expect me to spill all the gory details of my life. The fights, the mistakes, my deep, dark secrets. But you ain't listening because you care about me. No, you're only listening because you're paid to care about me. You're getting paid to just jot down your little notes and diagnose my tears. And then what? You probably just blame it all on my folks, right? You say you're only interested in the truth, right? And yet here you are charging me an hourly rate for only 50 minutes of work. Like I said, it's BS. She comes later and says, you know, you care about your your players Would you coach for free? Yes, he says. But do you? No, I get paid for it. I care about you, and I'm very good. I get paid for it. And they eventually create a very warm relationship, and she helps him. She helps him with his panic attacks. She helps him get to a deeper truth and a deeper understanding about his own father's suicide when he was 16 his relationship with his mother, his relationship with his wife. It's, it's quite a powerful relationship and rare, I think, in popular culture to see such an honest relationship of therapy in represented. I've done a little therapy. I'm quite delighted to see it represented in such a way. She has these two great lines. She says, I can't be your mentor without occasionally being your tormentor. (laughs) And then this one, Ted, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. (laughs) 
I love that. We have to go through the difficulty. A, an unknown place to get to something better. This belief that we can get to something better. I think that's true of congregations. We may have to go through difficult times where we don't know exactly how it's going to work out. We go through this in our personal lives, in our congregational life, in our family life, in our, perhaps our business life, in our relationships, in all the ways. We would not get anywhere better if we didn't go through as many religious people say, a dark night of the soul. Ted tells his players when they are in a particular slump, we're in the dark forest. Fairy tales do not start, fairy tales do not start, nor do they end in the dark forest. That sucker always shows up smack dab in the middle of the story. But it will all work out. Now, it may not work out in the way you think it will or how you hope it does, but believe me, it will all work out exactly as it is supposed to. What? Exactly as it is supposed to. Our job is to have zero expectations and just let go. Oh! That is some hard work for somebody who wants to control things. Maybe that's you. Maybe you want to control outcome. I know that I do. Sometimes it is not enough for me to put in the work, build the relationships, send the emails, do the planning, and let go of outcome. Whew. That is hard work. And some of you may think it's not especially wise. But there's something freeing in that. Because I cannot have all the answers or write the end of the fairy tale myself. If we are a team, if we are in something and building something together, and I believe that you have wisdom, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and all of us have a kind of collective wisdom, and in fact, all of that wisdom is not in the room, that so much of the wisdom is outside, then I have to let go. Try new things. Some will succeed. Some will fail. As Ted says, you tried something new. Big whoop. Didn't work out. Big whoop. Oh, that's hard. You may have seen the thumbnail for today. It was a picture of Ted with goldfish around him, and this was a theme. He asks one of the players who asks Sam Obisanya, who misses an easy shot, he says, what's the happiest animal on earth? A goldfish. Because it has a 10-second memory. <laughs> Be a goldfish, Sam. The American historian of 
Christianity and an advocate for progressive Christianity, Diana Butler Bass, is a fan of Ted Lasso. And she was a guest on the podcast, Richmond Till We Die. Let's see that. There we go. That's the, um, that's the uh, icon, for, icon, literally, for Richmond Till We Die. You see that Ted is holding in uh, one hand uh, the shortbread, the biscuits that he bakes, and in the other hand a dart. He's an excellent dart player. She's the author of many books, and she was uh, asked about what was her favorite character in the show. Many Ted Lasso fans are asked, what's your favorite character in the show, right? And, and we sometimes have our favorite characters. She says that her favorite character is the believe sign. There's a sign that's in many of the shots. Ted has put it on the wall of the locker room, believe. You see this one after it's been torn up, and I'll come back to that. But the believe sign is there. Now, she asks this. She wrote a blog post about it. She said, is believe merely a kind of happy talk, self-help mantra, a sweet Midwestern optimism oddly out of place in a more cynical world? Believe and your dreams of winning and fame will come true? Or is believe something else? A disposition that is truthful, a practice that is transformative, a challenge to embrace, a struggle to endure. Believe how? Believe what? There are no predetermined answers, and finding a way to belief is messy. In one of the uh, episodes, Nate, Nate who starts out as the kit man, um, says to Ted, do you mind if I pray? Is it okay if I pray? And Ted says, sure, but to what God and in what language? Later, Nate explodes in anger. He is unable to accept the community that tries to embrace him, and he explodes in anger. By, Butler Bass says, prior to the 17th century, the word believe did not mean believing in the truth of statements or prepositions, propositions. The object of believing was not like a creed, but a person. We believe in something, as in be love. Believe and be love were grammatically connected. So simply, to believe meant to love. Indeed, they're, they're close. So faith, in that construction, was about beloving God, right? To believe in God was to love God. Faith was about loving God and all that God beloves, right? Faith is the way of the heart. But for us... To believe in each other, to believe that we can be better, that I can be better, means that I need to love myself, that we can be better as a, as a congregation, a team, a community, means that we love each other. 
that that love to believe our larger community can be better, our country, our civic life, to believe is to love it enough to reach out to it and work together for that change. I think that is such a powerful construction. In the, in the podcast of Richmond Till We Die, Butler Bass, boy, she, she digs in and she says, all right, a lot has been made about the dog and God being an inversion. And so the death of the dog, perhaps being the death of God, belief was on the wall. At the end of the season, Nate takes the belief sign down and rips it up. Is that some kind of deconstruction of belief? A few times the cast goes into an actual Anglican church and they're deeply uncomfortable there. But they're very comfortable in other settings with each other when they can be themselves, when they can create authentic community around a common table, in a restaurant, in uh, playing, playing games together, not just on the pitch, but also other kind of games together. It's communal and it's covenantal. Here's where I'm going. We are covenantal. We say it's more important how we behave together than what creed we say we believe. We are part of that creating community together because if you're in, if you want to, if you want to be in, you belong. Come sing, come eat, come share a meal, come care for each other, come build something, come greet people as they come in the door, come share your resources, your time, your talent, your treasure, your musical gifts. We've got a choir coming back soon, don't we? Come work with uh, our children. Come get involved in a justice project. Come sign a postcard. Come create a postcard. Come welcome a family. If you want and you don't have to say any magic words and you don't have to believe a creed but we love together that's what I take from it Ted says we're not doomed after the sign was all torn up Belief doesn't happen because you hang something up on a wall it comes from in here and up here and down here the only problem is we've got so much junk floating through us, a lot of the times we end up getting in our own way. You know, we got stuff like crap, but we got crap like envy and fear and shame. I don't want to mess around with that stuff anymore. Do you? You know what I want to mess around with? The belief that I matter. 
regardless of what I do or don't achieve, or the belief that we all deserve to be loved, whether we've been hurt or maybe we've hurt somebody else. That's what I want to mess around with. Believing that things will get better, that I can get better, that we will get better. Oh, man. To believe in yourself, to believe in one another, that's fundamental to being alive. If you can do that, if you can truly do that, nobody can rip that apart. He says, I hope that either all of us or none of us are judged by the actions of our weakest moments, but rather by the strength we show when and if we are ever given a second chance. He says, be curious not judgmental. He says, I appreciate, appreciate you. And when he really means it, when he's really going for the goal, he says, barbecue sauce. <laughs> May it be so, and barbecue sauce. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.